What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm an basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers speak basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, I'm not going to let my Twitch failures bring me down. We tried to stream. We're going to try it again. Sorry I don't have the equipment for you all, so we're just doing a pod for you, but we'll get it out right away. Tim, not even the, my Twitch failures can make me upset after the last few days that the Lakers and Rob Palenka, God Palenka, Tim, we need to all return or take back all the, any of the slander we had about this man, not understanding cap space about not understanding when you need to make deals. This man has put on a virtuoso performance so far in this off season, Tim, but um, here we are. We're mid afternoon, Monday morning. And we just got news that Markeith has uh, re-signed for the minimum. So I don't know where are you where are you landing after this weekend, Tim. What are your first in, uh, impressions? Yeah, it's been up and down. We haven't gotten a chance to connect until now, and I'm almost glad in a way because now we get a, a more full, more holistic picture. Because off of just the first signing or two, I, that had me worried. Trez as our MLE, I was like, uh oh, looking for Abaca. I was looking for Millsap. I was looking for Gallo. Some of those guys went for more money. There were some other guys that went for also the MLE that I would have had more interest in. And I was scrambling to try to figure out, okay, what are the next steps to make this work? Because he's a guy who does what he does. He's good at it, but he has some weaknesses. And you always want to go into the following season, you know, being the same or being better. And LA found a way with some really great signings, like Marcus Saul at what, the minimum or so? Markeith Morris, we were talking about how it may be unrealistic to expect him to come back even with a raise, and he came back on the minimum. So there were some of those really, really high-value deals later on in free agency that uh, have me really, really happy with this free agency overall, even if if you just look at one on its own or if you look at the trade on its own, it's easy to overreact in one way or the other. But like you said, credits to Rob. Uh, to, to some extent, I, I don't know, people will be like, if we don't get someone, they'll say, oh, well, we didn't want to wait on them anyway, or they didn't want to come. That's not our fault. And if we do sign anyone, it's like, oh my God, Rob's, Rob's a God. So like, I'm, I'm somewhere in between, uh, or not that that's on one end on the other end, people just won't give the guy any credit. I'm, you know, he did a good job. He made some really good signings. The optics of like signing clutch guys isn't the best, but I think all things considered with everything he's done great steps forward and and I'm happy with the direction of the team and feeling pretty confident that the Lakers should be favorites, maybe heavy favorites going into this next season. 
I mean, a couple things, right? Just quickly. Clutch represents a lot of guys in the league. So, you know, your point's well taken. Though. Are you so... Are you fearful or or happy that LeBron has the clutch thing going on? Is as a Lakers fan and analyst, because from my perspective, with with my relationship with clutch as a Lakers fan, is very much like I'm worried they're going to bring someone on board that may not be the best team decision because of the clutch connection and and to to appease LeBron or to appease that entity. That's the the fear that I think is justified. Um, but I think this time around, it, it worked out. I mean, look at who they've signed, though. You know, they haven't only gotten clutch guys. You mm-hmm. know, they got Mark Gasol. I don't think Schroeder's a clutch guy, if I recall. Um, so it's it's. Listen, it doesn't. Melly and your big money guy. I mean, it doesn't appear to at this point have negatively impacted their chances of winning. So, do they favor guys who play with clutch? Yes, but they also work in a basketball sense so you know they they have at least done well at balancing that you know post kcp you know balloon payment in those first couple years um but like think of it the thing i'm stoked about tim that's been really exciting is i think we as a podcast did really well at kind of targeting and looking at certain players and and not predicting obviously truder is impossible to predict there's so many variations of getting rid of JaVale and, you know, we got back McKinney and stretched bell so that we didn't get everything right, obviously, but the guys we talked about significantly were Marcus Gasol, Markeith Morris and Wesley Matthews, you know, and those kind of came true. And so I just want to, you know, that's, we're, we're getting close to, to following the approach and getting into the, the mindset, I think of, of where, where this team's going. And I, that was exciting to me. Yeah, that was cool. And I mean, we sort of did that from the coaching side during the playoffs where some of what we were anticipating, not just on the Lakers side, but on the opposing team sides ended up materializing. So that was really neat to at least like it's one thing to understand it and recognize it, recognize it as it happens, but to be able to predict it or say, OK, here's what I would do. And then they followed it. That was cool. And hopefully for the listeners that gave them an even greater understanding of what they were watching and further appreciation for the game in that respect. Now we've been putting on that GM hat. Oh my God, is it so complicated? So many times we had to like redo that freaking spreadsheet and be like, oh shit, like this doesn't work. We're like $12 of the cap or like all these different complicated things. Huge credit to all the front offices for managing those sorts of things. Um, But yeah, a lot of the guys we talked about came true. And if you remember like Wesley Matthews, he was a, I don't know if he'll opt out of his player option, but if he does, he'd be at the top of the list and they got him. Uh, Marcus Saul was someone that was towards the top of, of the list among the bigs that we were looking at. They got him. Uh, Trez wasn't on the list, but they got him. And I see a path to it working with the other. It went, once they signed him, it was OK. He has these issues. We need to do A, B and C to make it all work and fit together. And they did all of those things. So there was a very cohesive plan. It wasn't just grab individual guys and throw them on the same team. Like after you grab Harold, you don't go grab Nerlens Noel. That wouldn't have made sense given the skill sets. They went after guys that complemented what they like to do. And I, I feel really, really good about it. And uh, just in general, it's good to feel confident that your team is like run competently and moving in the right direction. And you can't take that for granted as Laker fans or like me as a Mets fan. Like these are things that you should appreciate and enjoy. And you just want your team to give it their best shot. And the Lakers are doing that. 
Absolutely, man. So let's kind of uh, let's kind of give the listeners uh, an idea of where we're at as far as where the roster is. So I'm basing this off of uh, Yazi Goslin uh, at Yogi Main. He's done a great job updating teams' cap sheets throughout the free agency process while kind of making some presumptions like AD's, you know, number like we were doing. But just to let, give you the lay of the land, Tim, um, the Lakers uh, have two spots open theoretically three possibly for veteran minimum guys now the lakers re-signed markeith morris at the minimum uh we also had to trade for and stretch jordan bells i think six hundred thousand or so dollars so he has a hundred nine uh ninety three hundred thousand cap hit over the next three years like quinn cooks the lakers also looks like sign mark gasol for a two and a half million dollar contract is what it looks like, uh, what the cap hit will be. So they still have space for three vet minimums, Tim. And they did a masterful job at, at staying and giving themselves an opportunity under the apron to do so. Do you think that they'd use all three or maybe they get used two and save that last one for a buyout guy? And if so, like, who would you want to target with those last couple spots? My plan would be to fill the team out the best you can right now. If another player appears on the buyout market, that would be better than someone you already have. You can waive those minimum players and, and move on from that and it should be okay. And that's what we saw the Lakers do this past season with Troy Daniels. So I would, if they're good players, go get them. If somebody better appears, go chase that greener grass and let somebody go. Um, I would be looking, I think Dudley's going to be back. I think that was announced already. I, I'm not positive if he was included in those um, so he would be someone, uh, Nick Batum is a player who was never someone I considered at all because he was just paid a ridiculous amount of money. But now that he is a, an available free agent that and maybe he'll sign for the men. I mean, he just made, he's made a ton of money. Um, if you can grab him, that is a wor- versatile wing defender that would give you a good backup option, or maybe he even usurps Wesley Matthews as your wing stopper on the team outside of maybe using LeBron or AD in that position. Um, so he's a, an interesting name. He didn't shoot well on a tiny sample this past season, but he's been a pretty good three-point shooter. So even if he's older, he's not as good at like getting to the rim, or, or he's still a good playmaker, great passer. Um, if his defense is strong and it's been strong, and he can shoot like he has in the past, and he can be a good passer, like that's a like very, very easy player that I would absolutely throw a dart at. And I think it's more than a dart throw because he's, he's good. Um, if you can get him to buy in, that would be somebody I'd love to fill a spot with. Uh, I think who's left. It's, it's, it's a tricky market. I think Glenn Robinson, the third or Kyle Korver are guys you can look at from a shooting standpoint. Um, there's a third name that's escaping me. Uh, who, who would you be looking at? So, when I look at this roster, Tim, I feel like they probably also need another ball handler uh, and, and a break glass in case of emergency kind of situation, the way Quinn Cook was uh, for the last year's team. And I honestly, admittedly, there's not a lot of great stuff here. Um, I did a stream on Twitch when it was working, you know, kind of going over some of the guys and the guy that I kind of zeroed in one was Shabazz Napier as far as like someone who could shoot, do a little bit of playmaking, but you're not absolutely um, relying on him uh, in a rotation 
and somebody who's Bobby Marks has projected for the minimum. But, you know, looking at other guys who I don't think have agreed to deals yet, like Tyler Johnson, um, Michael Carter Williams, you know, uh, a lot of these other guys have already signed uh, Yogi Farrell, Emmanuel Moutier, Brandon Knight. You could go after that. Jordan McLaughlin, I don't think has agreed to a deal yet. Um, so I is, do you think they need some extra ball handling off the bench just in case of injury or what have you? Yeah, I think that makes sense, especially with Caruso probably being your pack, your backup point guard at this point, And he's not your like lead ball handler, pick and roll kind of guy. I, I think a Napier or a McLaughlin, those would be the two players I'd take a look at. Napier is somebody who's, I think we've spoken about before. I've certainly spoken about before. Um, he's good at getting into the rim, can finish at the rim. He's a decent playmaker, not going to make the highest quality of passes, but he's he's a point guard type guy that can operate a pick and roll. He can spot up so he can play on ball, off ball. Um, he's six foot, like 29 years old, just about. So you have a, some concerns with his size and his defense. Uh, but as an end of bench guy, I think you can do a lot worse and some, some of the names you mentioned are a lot worse. So he he's somebody I took a look at. McLaughlin's someone I took a look at. Um, I think, so Boogie is someone I'm still trying to think through in my head. I don't quite think I see a path for him given who we've signed and thinking about what the team might still need. I know the Lakers have been monitoring his situation and working with him, but I'm, I, I can go either way on that as an end of bench spot. It's, it's probably fine. Um, and there's some upside there, I think, but adding Gasol, I think addresses some of the uh, playmaking concerns that you would have otherwise looked to try to fill with Boogie. So I don't know if I'm super into it, but I, I can get behind that pretty easily. I think Glenn Robinson would be a non-ball handler type of guy that can be more like your, KCP sort of backup dude who can shoot, who can operate off of screens, who can play an okay bit of defense and be more of an off-ball guard. Um, Yeah, there aren't a ton of names left. We've seen a lot of the players we've wanted to be taken, be be filled and and take spots with other teams. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be tough because if you you do add Boogie, it kind of, there's not a guarantee in the rotation. I, I mean, I'm still surprised that Markeith took the minimum because mm-hmm. with them adding Harrell, you know, you can look at this rotation as there's an analog for every player in and out so far, except JaVale. So, you know, Gasol is the Dwight Howard. Schroeder is the Rajon Rondo. Wesley Matthews is the Danny Green. But what's so impressive about this offseason to me is you added a Montrez Harrell where there's no analog for last year's team. You just added that. You know what I mean? You didn't have anybody who was capable of scoring and, and contributing on the offensive end the way he is. And you took away a, a rim protector and JaVale McGee. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but JaVale obviously has, has limitations that limit and he got played off the floor in the playoffs too. So Obviously, Harrell's an upgrade over a McGee. Even if it's not in the rim protection area, you're still going to use Harrell more in on the offensive end to, to contribute in the regular season in a significant way. And that's adding something, an element to the Lakers that they didn't have before. And if you get a boogie to replace that back, like backup, backup big minutes, 
I don't see why he would come back for that. Um, because at this point, he's looking for a role, you know, mm-hmm. and even if that means taking the minimum, I mean, maybe he could totally come back and give them depth. It gives you insurance on a, you know, big old piece in your rotation and Mark Gasol, because, you know, you just don't want to be hamstrung there. Getting Gasol is great, but if he gets hurt, Tim, we're right back to some of those concerns that you had about only having Harrell, right? Yep. Yeah, I agree. And moving away from, so losing Dwight, losing JaVale, those are two shot blockers. Dwight's the better on-ball post defender. JaVale wasn't quite that. AD's the other good post defender we had. Now you have Gasol and AD as those two post defenders. Harrell can defend the rim as an off-ball guy. On-ball, he's he's very poor um, in, in terms of defending post-ups. So that's one area that he's weak. And there aren't a whole lot of playoff matchups where you run into that and he's going to like get played off the f- floor because of it. But like if you do end up playing like a Denver, Harrell's not a guy that is going to succeed all that well if he's defending Jokic at all. Um, now, AD can do that. Gasol can do that. But if Gasol gets hurt, you're in trouble. If I mean, if AD gets hurt, you're obviously in trouble. If Harrell gets hurt defensively, it doesn't really change a whole lot. You, you you would still love to have somebody, you know, have a body out there that can be a, a decent rim protector. Harrell, like you said, his impact will be offensively. And interestingly enough, because we know him as an offensive rebounding guy, he's going to get putbacks. He's going to crash the boards. And he is a, a lob threat or not required, not as much a lob threat as much as a, a role man. He's he's smaller. He's he. It will. And the thing is, if you look at his efficiency, finishing dump offs like he's good. He's not elite. If you look at his efficiency, finishing just roles in general, he's he's good. He's not elite where I think he's really strong is he's an undersized guy, but he's very quick and he has a good IQ in ball screen situations and. Something that stood out to me was that he's third in the whole league. He, he was third in the whole league this past season at points from slipping screens. And there are some players who just slip every screen and it's not the right decision. And then there are some players that should be slipping because the defense is showing a harder hedge and they just stand there and, and they're still setting a screen when it's not generating an advantage. He does a really good job of if you're playing drop coverage, he's going to set a hard screen. But if you're showing hard, you're blitzing anything anything more aggressive, he's going to slip that. And he's so quick that if he's playing the five, those guys aren't going to be able to stick with him. Um, So he gets a lot of his points off of that. And he's just really, really smart about it. When a defense is playing drop coverage after he sets the screen, he does a really good job getting into the open space because it's not always the right thing to just roll hard to the rim. He's not as much of a lob threat as JaVale or Dwight were. He's not, you can't just throw the ball up and he's going to finish it. He's more a guy that he's going to find the space. You give him that pocket pass, which we have players that can do that. And then if there's someone on the sides of him, if he has any sort of open lane, he's going to go up strong. He's going to finish strong. He'll finish through contact. And that's where he's really strong. And he's so quick about it, too, that he converts so many of those. It's not a lob, but it's quick dump off and boom, he goes. Um, He's not as strong a short roll passer, which is fine. That's not really what we were hoping with. I saw a couple of people talking about that on Twitter, but I looked through his his possessions and he'll, he'll have a good uh, short roll pass here and there. But most of it is either he doesn't take the pass or he makes a bad pass. I saw him turn the ball over quite a bit with that. Um, so that's not quite a strength of his, but he's a really good roll man. He's a good slip guy. And I think that'll provide a, a big benefit. So that's what he brings. Actually, interestingly enough, his post offense is something that he does quite frequently. 
Um, he was 11th in the NBA in post possessions this past season. And he, as his offensive archetype, was a post scorer. So for us, I don't know if you want him to stay that way. I don't know if you want him to be a roll and cut big. Um, but he's watching the film, even though post-ups aren't the most in vogue form of offense, he does a really good job. He is great pre-catch. He does a good job getting post position, which is something that we've seen Anthony Davis struggle with at times. He gets position, he maintains position, uh, and he has a really strong face-up game. He's not going to back you down, but he uses that quickness, and he's going to use a bunch of different moves, up and unders, crossovers, spin moves, um, and and get to the rim, explode at the rim, try to finish strong, and he has a quick second jump. So that's where we see the putbacks really come into play. Interesting thing to consider about Harrell was, you know, so much of his uh, time on the court and success, if you will, is tied to Lou Williams. Those were kind of the, uh, you know, the 1A, 1B off their bench. Uh, and they work really well in the, that pick and roll, right? Lou can put pressure on the rim, but he can also stretch out and pop and shoot the three uh, and hit Harrell in the short roll, like probably less frequently, but he can do it, right? So, mm-hmm. What's interesting to me was when you're talking, you know, about playoff kind of situations that Trez and LeBron don't actually make a ton of sense together in, in the, the going under screens. But LeBron being able to put like an aggressive pressure on the front of the rim in a way that Lou Williams can't just physically makes me think that Montrez will be able to operate with a lot more space in the lane. And, you know, is like he could be just a wrecking ball throwing his body around in the dump off region. And if he's smart, um, knows how to kind of play off of that. And if he's not going to get the ball, you set flare screens on the weak side and like just be that energy guy. Remember when he came into the league as, as a Rockets, right? He was just, everyone loved him. He cleans up the glass. He's effort. He's energy. He's always active. So so what you're saying is we want him to be like that Dwight Howard guy at that weak side dunker spot, setting those screens for the flares or finishing dump offs if we drive and dump it off. Uh, he's not quite the same lob threat, so that takes away that option just a tad. Um, that's why I'd have concern is because he's he's a smaller guy. He's been playing center in in for, well, for the Clippers, but he's more of a power forward from a physical standpoint. He's quick, and that's beneficial for him. His size hurts him, uh, but his physicality is kind of a wash playing centers. Playing against power forwards, his quickness is more of a wash. His size is fine, and his force, I think, is really useful. Um, Based on his matchup, he's either a a plus post guy if he's playing someone who's slower than him. In in the role situations, he can be valuable, but I don't know. Finishing dump-offs as like a 6'8 dude, coming off of a season where he had a D minus shot difficulty at the rim already. I just don't know how much more we can improve that situation, but if anyone could, it's going to be LeBron and AD. So I see what you're saying. And I think offensively you can make him work in the playoffs. My concern with him is defensively because he can't defend the post, which might be fine. A lot of teams don't have a strong post player. He isn't strong on the defensive boards, which probably won't play him off the court. There are very few players that are really going to take advantage of that. But he's also a poor pick-and-roll defender and perimeter defender. And that's the they're going to be able to target that if you have any sort of dynamic guard, which a lot of playoff teams do. 
either whoever you play in the playoffs, they're either going to have a post-up big or a dynamic scoring guard, pretty much one or the other. Um, very few teams have neither of those. So I see a lot of scenarios where you just might need to bench him. And that's fine because we have the other pieces around him. You can put Markeith in or you can put Gasol in. It depends on what the matchup is. And I think the Lakers have built the right infrastructure around him, but I wouldn't have the highest of hopes that like, oh, just give him Frank Vogel and suddenly he'll be a, a plus defender necessarily just because we just saw Frank Vogel take the same approach last playoffs where, okay, JaVale, you can't defend this series, you're out. Same with Dwight. And when it is Dwight's time, he's in there and he's doing his thing. So I I have more, I more expect Vogel to play the chess piece, okay, you know, tag team, it's your turn, it's your turn, you're going to sit for this series more than I expect them to be able to suddenly make Harold a, a positive or a neutral uh, perimeter defender. Okay. Back to my point. <laughs> what I was trying to say, Tim, was that Harold and LeBron lineups might not make a ton of sense. Now I think Harold and AD lineups make a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons, because AD is that versatile big that you could put next to Harold to help protect the rim in certain lineups while giving you an athleticism, a power and speed combination that the Lakers have used over the last season to, you know, just pound their uh, opponents into submission through smarts and, and so many versatile kind of lineups. Now, you know, what makes more sense is Keith and LeBron. Now that you have Keith back, and you run Harrell and AD. And that is just so much more of a potent offensive lineup on both ends than what you have with uh, with Dwight and LeBron. Because let's be honest, Dwight LeBron pick and rolls didn't really get you a whole lot. And that's what like- That's a it, LeBron problem. That, that, that's, a, that's a LeBron issue because teams are going under those ball screens. I don't care if it's Dwight. Dwight but Dwight doesn't have, have the athleticism to finish over the top the same way that he used to like. And so if he's not going to just lob dunk, he just didn't Tim. We didn't, he was open. Take, he, saw, that's hey, not the point though. Counterpoint. We saw Rajon Rondo do it with, with Dwight. Okay. But with LeBron, you're right. A couple of times a work. game, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, but I, so I, that's not nearly as impactful Tim as Montrezl Harrell offensively. And I would argue the drop-off between Montrez and Dwight is less than the drop-off between Montrez and Dwight on offense. So overall, you become a more balanced team and you gain a strength in offensive potency off the bench. And I haven't even brought up Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder is where I was going next. Yeah. That gives you another uh, Lou Williams, you know, uh, comp to that, to what Lou and Trez did off the bench. So, like, to sit there and say that Montrez Harrell doesn't make sense for the team unless Marc Gasol and Keefe come back, I don't think is entirely accurate. I think it sh- you have to consider the, how LeBron and AD can change their games to make them better because LeBron and AD, they're, they aren't players who just only do one thing. They do the thing that helps the team and that they're successful at, right? So... AD is going to um, stretch the floor more when Harold's on the court because he has to. You know what I mean? I just see the way our superstars can mold their games around the role players to maximize them in, in, go, in the lineups going forward. I think a piece of that is 
defensively when you get to the playoffs, Anthony Davis plays center and Harrell plays power forward. That will involve him in fewer ball screens. That will have him defending the post less. That will put him in a better position to take advantage of his quickness and his ability to rotate and defend the rim as a help guy more than the primary anchor big. I think that's part of how you use him with AD to to make more out of him. As a center, he's undersized. He's going to get beat on the glass. He's going to get beat in the post. And he's going to be involved in a lot of ball screens. And we saw teams do that. If you go watch the Dallas series, which the Clippers won time after time after time, they just threw ball screens at the Clippers. And then they would have the screener go set a flare screen, or I'm sorry, a pin down for another player because they knew Trez wasn't going to do anything but play drop coverage. And if he did show harder, they would just ISO against him. So he's someone, it's, it's the position and he's the type of guy that you can target in more than one way. That's the concern for me. That's where if if a team is going after the same defender time after time after time, which we didn't see this past season because the Lakers didn't have those guys on the court, not because they didn't have them on the roster, but because Frank Vogel realized that's what's going to happen. All right, I'm just going to bench you, Dwight Howard. I'm going to bench you, JaVale McGee. I think we're going to see him say, all right, I'm going to bench you, Montrez Harrell, and we're going to bring in Markeith Morris, and we're going to play smaller, more switchy, and it'll be fine. So... I, I, I maybe we, we might be having different conversations. I think he's a clear upgrade offensively. I'm with you there. I think he's going to be in the best situation he could be in. I am interested to see how that Schroeder Harrell pick and roll pairing works out. I think that's a great, uh, more promising option than LeBron and Harrell because against Harrell, the way that team stopped him last season, looking at some of the second spectrum data, was just going under ball screens and dropping. Um, if the ball handler couldn't turn the corner and you kind of got to, a chance to stay in front of Harrell. He wasn't, he's not going to dunk over you. As long as you don't give him a path, you can kind of slow him down. The same thing with LeBron. When LeBron was the pick and roll ball handler, you stopped him by going under ball screens. And we saw team after team do that in the playoffs. So in that way, in the regular season, it might work. Teams aren't as tactical, as smart in the regular season. But in the playoffs, that combo will give us trouble. But I think Schroeder and Harrell will be a really good pick and roll combo because Schroeder hits those shots and he's been incredibly effective whenever teams have gone under his ball screens, no matter what the big big man's doing. So in that sense, I see a lot of promise there. I can't wait to see how his that that playmaking connection works because if you look at a lot of the tape for Schroeder last season, a lot of his passing was the lobs to Nerlens Noel. It wasn't as much of the short roll, dump it off sort of stuff. So if he can just tweak how he's getting his role man the ball, I think that pairing should work out really, really well. Whereas with LeBron, I think you have to do some of those tweaks to make it work um, kind of how we were talking last season in the playoffs. So um, just getting, getting to a couple of players we haven't discussed quite as much. Lakers also uh, effectively replaced that Danny green spot with Wes Matthews. Now Wes Matthews is uh, coming into his 12th season, I believe. So he's long in the tooth as well, but he is a veteran who, can give you a modicum of of what Danny Green did in shooting and defense at a fifth of the cost uh, at the biannual exception. So even if you consider Wes Matthews to be slightly slightly less than what Danny Green was, he they you know the difference in that buys you a Montrez Harrell, and that's that's my point is that they created an asset out of nothing in retaining their assets that, that mattered in KCP. They switched Rondo under Schroeder. Like I said, there's an analog for every position and you turn 
JaVale McGee into Montrez Harrell. You're not exactly the same team you were last year, but Mark Gasol's not the same player as Dwight Howard. Schroeder's not the same as Rondo. So it's an analog, but it's it's almost like a you know a, a parallel. This is a, a similarly built team construct with mm-hmm. slightly different kind of uh, nuances along the fringes in Marcus right. shooting and the concepts are the same. The idea that with our big man rotation defensively, we want to have an answer to whatever you can throw at us. The idea that we need to bring in more scoring, more playmaking. Last season, we had to rely on Rajon Rondo getting to the rim or using ball screens and creating for others. Now we have a a player who's a little bit better at some of that um, with with Schroeder. Maybe not as much the, the pick and roll passing. We have a guy with Harrell that's able to provide a big boost off the bench, but he's still rim protector lob threat. So it's same archetypes of players that, that make sense. And by, like you said, almost like arbitraging, okay, we'll get 80% of Danny Green with this other guy, um, with, with uh, Wes, Wesley Matthews, that gave them the opportunity to spend their money elsewhere. Now... I think Matthews, I don't think he's the same caliber of player. I think Danny Green's better. But like you said, overall, it can be beneficial. Where they differ a bit, because they can both shoot the ball well. And the concern with Green is partially, he didn't look good at the end of that last season. He might have been dealing with an Achilles injury. Quick turnaround on the season. He's getting older. There's worry there that he doesn't get back to what he was in the regular season. If he does, he's a clearly better player from 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 my perspective. Now, Wesley Matthews is a shooter. He is a guy that is going to take on really tough matchups, 99th percentile matchup difficulty this past year. He's a versatile player. He is a guy that is much more of a wing stopper than Danny Green. If we think about the their style of defense in how they're used and then also their skill sets, Green is much more like we know him for being a really good rotator getting those like blocks at the rim move, like he's not as a he's not a point of attack defender he's like he's one of the guys i think you said this of any player in the league that's going to stop a two on one you're almost most confident in Danny Green he's a helper and that was his job the lakers used him perfectly he was a star in his role great defender highly impactful defender wesley matthews highly impactful defender he was used as a chaser which is actually an area of his game he's gotten weaker with, and he's dropped off quite a bit. He was not effective there. He is much better defending on ball, and he's been better defending on ball. He's been a wing stopper before. I think the Lakers will use him in that role. He will be the answer to that deficit that we had last season because we didn't have a wing stopper. KCP wasn't that guy. Danny Green wasn't that guy. We had to rely on LeBron or AD to do that. Thankfully, we didn't play any teams until Miami that had a scoring wing. So even though it was a weakness, it didn't really get exposed and we didn't really prioritize it as fans the same way that we otherwise would have if we played Boston or if we played the Clippers. Um, So I'm glad that the team recognized they need to improve on that. And it looks like they have. If they use Matthews as a wing stopper, I think he's going to be great. If they use him as a chaser, I think he's going to not be good. But based on the roster construction, it looks like he'll he'll be our wing stopper Um, with him. He's he's almost 34 years old, 6'4", like 220. getting a little bit older. So you hope he can maintain what he's doing. And I think over the first couple months of the season, assessing him and Gasol at their ages will be really critical in saying, okay, can we rely on these guys or not? And if you can't, that's when you look to make a trade. That's when you might look at potentially moving Kyle Kuzma or if Kuzma is improved and he can be that wing stopper, that's, that's a place you can go. But the Lakers, I don't think wanted to enter the season with Kuz as their number one wing stopper. And 
by doing the by making the moves they have they they don't need to but if he can develop into that that is fantastic but you just don't want to have to rely upon that um especially once you get to the playoffs forward i would expect that based on the moves that have happened cal kuzma stays on the team at least until the trade deadline where he's probably their last kind of shot uh, both salary and uh, you know upside talent play wise with uh, his restricted rights if he wanted to trade him to a New York for a potential you know buyout guy to clear a roster spot or get a future pick or something he's kind of your last uh, option as far as trading but what's interesting about this team and you can never have too many wing stoppers I would be more than happy to sign Glenn Robinson to a league minimum and and just to have another guy there you know but um like Kuzma, if he's going to be that guy, he's going to be valuable at his contract. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, also having an, a contingency plan uh, is, is quite helpful too. But I could also see like a situation where um, Harold sucks, like sucks is relative, right? Harold doesn't fit well. Let's say Tim, let's project forward that Harold we'll, doesn't fit well. When will you see that though? Cause my concern with Harold partially is we're not going to notice that until we get to the playoffs. Teams aren't going to target him purposefully enough in the regular season where we're like, Oh man, this is an issue. We need to fix this issue. You would have to be more proactive in thinking forward. It's almost the Rondo. It's the opposite of Rondo where he was bad in the regular season and in the way he plays worked out well in the playoffs. This might be the opposite direction just based on his weaknesses. But, but again, if either you're not putting him in the right lineups, but 20 to 30 games in, you know whether or not a lineup uh, has uh, a synergy and a, a capability to, to beat certain things that you want to beat. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, a two-year, $19 million contract with a player option. Seriously, Tim, if it doesn't work out, you can trade him for a, another player that really can still help you. And you have Marcus Gasol and Markeith Morris to fill in the gaps and you bring in a, you know, a, a league minimum center Elsewhere, this is why we were like, maybe we get another big and boogie. Um, but this is where you could see why the Lakers maybe went to Markeith and said, look, we're adding two guys that weren't on our team last year. One's, one's old. One got played off the court in the playoffs. If, if it doesn't work with one of them, you're going to get the other one's minutes. Mm-hmm. So you could see that like, uh, as, a, as a practical possibility for Markeith's role increasing yep. this year. Yeah, and and I don't think we're going to see Gasol get a ton of minutes in the regular season. I think he'll play kind of the JaVale, like he'll start and then he'll have another shift in the third quarter, and that might be it that we see from him. He's getting older. Yeah, exactly. It'll be very situational, but in the regular season, he's probably going to be on cruise control. In the regular season, we might see Matthews used a bit less, and Kuz will get more of those minutes. And, And if we sign like a Glenn Robinson, he might get more of those minutes. Um, exactly, exactly. I don't think this team is going to prioritize like getting the one seed or trying to win as many games as possible. They want to get to the playoffs healthy. They have older dudes on their roster. They have a lot of guys who just came off of a short turnaround. This is going to be like a big season full of load management in all kinds of different ways. Uh, and they have a lot of pieces that they added that the upside is there. There's so much potential for this team to be even better than it was last season. But at the same time, there are very real scenarios where certain guys don't fit or they don't work out or they're getting older and they're not as good anymore. So figuring, looking forward and looking to the playoffs, trying to evaluate guys for what they're doing now and projecting forward will be such a critical process as we move throughout this year. 
but just look at every move that's been made, right? Has been mm-hmm. a value move for the Lakers in this offseason. I mean, every deal they've done, except maybe Wesley Matthews could have maybe gotten a little, like he was making less, obviously, with Milwaukee than what we signed him for. But, you know, I think Montrez Harrell for signing for uh, a mid level exception, we didn't talk about that guy once. Now, Bobby Marks had him at 10 to 12 million. Obviously, before the playoffs, it was a lot higher. But, uh, you know, Serge Ibaka signed for the minimum, uh, for the mid level exception with the Clippers. And I feel like if the Lakers knew that, maybe they hold out. But then if you hold out and you don't get either of them, is there a guy that's going to take the mid level? I don't know. We don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to speculate. And just from being just from spending just the past like week, which had a part to do with why we didn't podcast last week as much being on the other side of it, being working on the player, the agent side, there's so much more going on when it comes to options and trades and so many things that just from working with a couple guys, I realized were on the table that you're never going to hear about making me realize just how hard it is to evaluate GMs because we only know what they do. We don't know what they decide not to do. We don't even know what is available for them to do. He could have had Serge Ibaka begging to come, but instead he wanted Montrezaro. Or he could have had Serge Ibaka say, hey, no thanks, I'm never playing for you. Or it, like there's so there's such a wide spectrum just with that one player that it's all, all we can say is they signed Trez for this much money. It's a tradable contract. It should work. It should be great for the regular season. It should be an extra score. I think it's a great move now that we have the rest of the pieces around it. As long as they took care of the Gasol and the Keefe and that stuff, and you don't have to rely upon him in the in the playoffs, I think you're fine. Um, and, but in- just my point being is that you can't look at Trez and Abaca getting the exact same contract and say, "Oh, Rob fucked up," right? You can't because you don't know. You again, right? You can't say that. Uh, even if we both agree, I'd rather have Abaca at that mm-hmm. number. Mm-hmm. But a bird in the hands, we're two in the bush, right? Right. Like, you get the guy who you get. And that at least, sorry to interrupt. That's just what I want to throw out there. No, no, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the guys we did get. Wesley Matthews, I've been looking through his film offensively. He's very much just been a spot-up guy. He's older. He doesn't get to the rim all that well. He doesn't finish at the rim all that well. He's not a one-on-one player. He's not a playmaker. He's not a post player. He is very much, I'm going to be a wing stopper on defense, and I am going to hit shots on offense. He's been very consistent. So we have that uh, that gameplay consistency metric we talked about before that looks at the box plus minus game by game, 98th percentile. He is going to be who he's going to be, not streaky. I think that'll be a really nice thing to have. Um, his pace impact estimate, looking at when he's on the court, does he make your team play faster or slower? He has an A-. minus. Dennis Schroeder also has an A-. minus. We have two guys there that should help push the pace offensively and defensively. So I think that'll be really valuable. Um, another thing with Matthews is when he drives, he has really good numbers indicating that he passes out at a, an appropriate rate, not too much, not too little. And the high volume like uh, of assists that he's getting off of those passes is really encouraging. He's not somebody who's passing out because he has to, because he's getting stopped. He's not somebody who is not passing out at all. He is finding and, and getting the ball to players in good positions to succeed from a playmaking standpoint, not a playmaker, but his efficiency and his quality were both also high. So he profiles as a good ball mover, might be somebody that can attack a closeout and, and get the ball to where it needs to be. Um, as an off-screen shooter, he wasn't used much in that respect this season for Milwaukee from a volume standpoint because that's because Milwaukee 
has room for growth in that respect. In the past for Dallas, he was their primary guy, did a great job. They used him versatile. He has the footwork. He can make the reads. He was efficient this season. They used him much less so. But among the players they used in those scenarios, he had a really high, I'd call it a share of those possessions. So he's a guy that we can use in that way, the same way we've used KCP in the past. Or Danny Green's not quite that guy, but I think that's another positive you can use him there. You may not have to or want to use him there, but he's good in those situations. He's a good defensive rebounder, not on a volume standpoint, but he wins his battles. And he, when he's been on the court, Milwaukee rebounded much better this past season. So that's good to know. Um, he's guarded all-star players more frequently than 83% of the NBA. Um, has really good impact data. And uh, another thing with the spotting up, I looked at the leaderboard of like, when you are spotting up and get the ball, how often do you just shoot versus attack a closeout? He was very much more so on the side of just shooting. He doesn't attack closeouts all that well, or all that much, I should say. But when he does, he, he's he been decently effective. So that's that's your like high level, basically me just looking through his player profile, combining that with what I've seen on film. That's that's who I see with Wesley Matthews. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think you need a ton of playmaking uh, from that position in a LeBron AD starting lineup, which I, I fully expect Matthews to start um, in that Danny Green spot. So offensively, you just you, you feel a little bit better about him putting the ball on the ground than Danny Green um, mm-hmm. because of how stiff Danny can be and, um, you know, just not really athletic or able to get to the rim. Even if Wes Matthews is – slightly better it's probably not that meaningful it's just the shooting like it, this was a very specific role he's sliding into um you know you don't want him chasing guys around like you said like you that's why you kept kcp or caruso yep. or tht you know mm-hmm. so you have west matthews who size wise is, is smaller than danny green which isn't is is significant right he doesn't have the length um, which which hurts you on the help defense side. So I wonder, Tim, does something like the players who put put together on this roster, do you feel they will have as strong of an aggressive defensive identity with the ball pressuring, um, you know, from KCP and Danny Green and and uh, Bradley? Obviously, they don't have the same on ball. Um, skill set on defense. So I wonder if they will be as aggressive on that side because that's what helped them team defense be so good because you have AD on the back line to recover. You have Dwight Howard and JaVale and even LeBron sometimes to recover and Danny Green help defense. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is going to impact their defensive identity? I would venture to guess it will based off of what I've seen so far, what I've seen in the data these guys are weaker. Schroeder, Harrell, and uh, Matthews, all three of them are weaker off-ball guys. They're getting less deflections. They're rotating worse. They're, that, that's not as much their game. They, in specific roles, can be impactful. Matthews as a wing stopper, Schroeder as a point-of-attack defender, Harrell, I think, kind of just trying to keep him out of the way and letting him be a shot blocker uh, as a help guy. But... Um, it's not the same kind of sprint around, like double team here and then recover on a skip pass and then cut off a drive and then switch and then you know not not as much of that scramble drill craziness that we saw last season. Now that's somewhere 
that is more coachable. That's somewhere that I think Vogel and his staff can work to improve because a lot of it is just rotations. It's IQ, but not in like a really high demanding sort of way. It's just kind of getting everyone on the same page. So from a physical standpoint, I think we're in an okay spot for that. I mean, Gasol is not the most mobile guy, but these other guys, I think, especially with Trez being quick, you have the physical capability to try to do that. It's a matter of trying to make it materialize. So I don't think we can guarantee it. I wouldn't count it out. I would lean towards it'll be it'll certainly be weaker, I think, than last year, but there's potential for it to be there in, in some extent. Yeah, it just feels a lot more of a balanced approach to... First of all, I think the Lakers might be... Like, I'm not kidding, Tim, like the most versatile team I've ever seen on paper. This roster is insane. When you look at a guy like Mark Gasol, Montrez Harrell, and Markeith Morris and all the different positions and kind of manipulations of that that you can have. LeBron at the three, AD at the four, LeBron at the four, AD at the five, and then insert three guys of Caruso, KCP, Matthews, Keith, Gasol, Harrell, like... All of those guys in different combinations can give you different things. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know what this team's identity will be other than that chameleon that's, oh, you want to play fast and small, uh, Golden State? Like, let's go. Let's do this. Or you want to play big and slow and bruising Denver? Like, I'm ready for it. Like, it's just, that's why the identity of this team is going to be that chameleon-like manipulation of what the moment needs. Yep. It hit me when I was trying to figure out what would our closing lineup be? <laughs> and like outside of LeBron and AD, Pick and then maybe you, whatever I don't you know. Want. I wouldn't, yeah. I don't know if I'd lock in KCP. I don't know if I'd lock in shooter. Sure. You can just pick three other dudes, but yeah. there are like eight different options. But if so you need defense, you could do Caruso and KCP, right? If you mm-hmm. need offense, you could do Schroeder and, you know, Matthews or something yep. to space the floor. There's just so many iterations, you know? Yeah. It'll be, I, I'm interested to see how Frank, uh, experiments throughout the season and tries these different lineups out and figures out okay are we going to come up with a couple different like you know in 2k when you're playing and you have the preset tall lineup or defense lineup or three-point lineup like if we'll have like five or six of those and then it'll be like okay which team are we playing or if he'll come up with more standard this is our first unit second unit and i don't know i i think there's room to experiment and maybe drop a game or two in the regular season trying stuff out, but be more prepared in the playoffs to know what you can do and the types of lineups you can throw out there. So I'm, I'm pumped. We've got a ton of different dudes that can do a bunch of different things. We do have guys who are weaker in specific areas like Matthews. If he needs to be a chaser, that's not good. Harold, if you're going to attack him in space, that's not good. Or if you're going to attack him defending the post, he of the, let's see, 125 players defended 50 or more post-ups this year. He was 95th in efficiency. And he was 14th in terms of uh, how often players actually tried to score on him when he when they were posting up. If they post up against like a Serge Ibaka and they couldn't even get a shot up and they had to pass it out, this will capture that. When when Harrell was defending guys in the post, they weren't passing out. They were going right at him. Um, and his quickness defensively didn't really materialize in terms of getting steals. So that is, again, not high volume probably. We have guys that can do that, but there he is a weakness. Matthews has a weakness. Gasol, he's getting older. He can do certain things. He can't do other things. He's not really switchy. He's just more of a versatile pick and roll kind of option other than switches. Um, 
So there are just so many different ways you can play things. As long as you use the right cards in the right situations, you can make a lot out of this team. One interesting data point that I found with Montres Harrell, because just thinking about how he's been as a defender and you, you, he's going to be really impactful offensively. You don't want him to have a negative impact defensively. And I'm trying to think about how we mitigate some of that, how we can either put him in a better environment to do well or develop him or just change his role from a personnel standpoint, his most common front court partners last season, it wasn't Zubats. He played like 20 seconds with Zoo on the season. It was Jermichael Green, who's not a good, not as he's not like Anthony Davis. He's by no means anywhere near that caliber. Um, Just some of these guys who weren't anywhere near what we're going to be able to provide around him from an environment standpoint. So I think just in that sense, even if he doesn't actually improve, he's in a better situation to succeed and the team's in a better situation to succeed. Talking about his role for the first time in his career last season, he was asked to be the anchor big, which doesn't really make sense for him. He's an undersized center. He's more of a power forward. And I went and I looked at some of his impact data year over year And he's had two seasons in 2015-16 and 2017-18 where he was more of a power forward than a center. In those two seasons, his average defensive PIPM was a a positive 0.1, which is good, just about average. In 2016-17, 2018-19, in this past season, he's averaged about a minus one impact. So that's a pretty substantial, and it was fairly consistent, difference. If we can play him as a power forward, and his size isn't a negative anymore. He's defending the post less. He's involved in fewer ball screens. He can be good. And I think the Lakers are well set up with Gasol and with AD to let him defensively play that kind of role. Now, you need AD to either be willing to, you know, bang a little bit more in the post. Um, in the regular season, I think I'm fine just kind of eating Harrell as a center and having his mm-hmm. uh, impact not be the best it could be. But in the playoffs, you swap those two, AD's your five, he's your four defensively from a role standpoint. And, and I think you're in much better shape and him playing with Gasol, that can work. Him with LeBron or him with Keith as the four or five, not in great shape, especially because he's not really switchable. If you want to go small switchable, you go AD and LeBron or AD and Keith or LeBron and Keith even. Mm-hmm. So there are things he can do. There are things he can't do. We have a very clear opportunity to make so much more of him this next season than than the Clippers did last season. A lot of that was also coaching and I don't want to just bash Doc Rivers uh, for 20 minutes, but I saw so many little things that I was like, well, why would they use him that way? Or why is he playing that coverage? And it wasn't a him thing. It was a team thing. So he's in a much better situation in so many different ways from a personnel standpoint, in terms of how we're going to use him from a positional standpoint, I would bet money. He's going to play more power forward than he did last year. And Oh, last season he played zero like zero minutes at power forward, just about. Yeah. So that's going to get better. I think he's, he's quick. We'll be able to help that, uh, help use that for our three, two zone. Um, I, I just see, I see a lot of upside for him to become just an average defender. And if that can be the case, a lot of the the fears that I had with him dissipate a little bit. I don't think he's going to really grow. He intruder like they're, I don't, I wouldn't call them young players. They're players in their prime. They're not going to grow, but we, for the next couple of seasons can expect them to perform at this level. And then you, you try to optimize the talent. The talent's not going to really change, but mm-hmm. you can optimize it better. And looking defensively, Doc Rivers has a C in our B-ball index, uh, defensive optimization ratings, Frank Vogel's an A. Clear, big growth there. Um, so I like the idea of adding shooting 
and relying on the the staff to make the most out of the defense. And I think we're well set up to do that. And if they're seeing what, what I'm seeing, I think there's a really, really clear path to making Harrell a much better defender than he has been in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, this is I was talking to BJ Men on Twitter about this, right? You don't blame a screwdriver for not being able to hammer home a nail. You mm-hmm. have to know what tool you're using, deploy it in the right situation. And the the Lakers have like a versatile tool chip box, right? They they can go a lot of different ways. And having an Anthony Davis helps a guy like Montrez Harrell, who struggles at playing the center on defense. Well, Anthony Davis is the center on defense and the power forward on offense. That works. That makes yep. sense. That is conducive to both of their skill sets. And actually the Lakers getting Trez on a value contract, they get double, they get more value having an Anthony Davis on the team to play alongside of him because of what he could unlock for Trez. Trez is going to get eat his baskets in the easiest way he's had in his entire career. And he played with Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George and yep. just how those offenses differ, right? They're like much more isolation heavy for the Clippers. You know, it gives the defense a lot better chance to be set up and not get beat off of dump offs and cuts off the weak side. You know, the Lakers they're they run isolations too, but the ball's moving, LeBron's diving and, and cutting and, or, and, and kicking out. And, you know, we're going to get ball movement advantages to where Schroeder is going to catch a, a, a drive from LeBron and he can attack a closeout and dump off to um, Trez. Yeah. Yep. There's just the speed there and the athleticism. It's a major advantage upgrade. And, and with his finishing, I wouldn't say that his environment is going to like go from horrible to awesome because he was already his shots at them were fairly easy to start with. But I think the volume is going to increase in terms of his assisted shots at the rim. And Mm -hmm. if we look at so here are the top six players in our finishing talent grade at B-Ball Index for last season. Zion Williamson, Derek Rose, Giannis, Russell Westbrook, Montrezl Harrell, five, LeBron James, six. Hmm. He's a really, really good finisher at the rim. And we are putting him in a perfect situation. Just like you said, the, the talent and the, the way we use that talent generates high volumes of those dump off situations. I wish he were more of a lob threat than he is. He can still do some of that, but he's not, he's not that kind of guy necessarily, but he is going to finish those dump offs really well. He's forceful. He's strong. He finishes through contact well. And it, it's, I think it's going to work out. I think it's going to be fine. I think from a pick and roll standpoint, I worry about the, the fit with LeBron. I am optimistic, but curious to see if Schroeder can adjust his style of pick and roll to, instead of throwing the lobs to get uh Harold that those, those short roll passes. Um, but I, I really like the fit. I think it's going to work out really well. And once we get to the playoffs, Harold doesn't really negatively impact you as long as you're able to pivot and throw the guys in the Clippers were like, he killed the Clippers because they weren't willing to just play Zubats over him or they weren't willing to just throw other personnel out there instead of just going down with the ship. The Lakers don't need to do that. And in the regular season, I don't think we'll have too many issues with that. So again, really great signing. If we do end up needing to trade him, I think he's going to be in a good position and performing well and have value. It's I wouldn't bank on being able to trade him for like the perfect fit necessarily um, because a lot of teams would want what the Lakers would be looking for from that slot. But I, I think he'll have some value and he, he had some very clear things. He's an amazing offensive rebounder, really high activity, really high impact. 81% of his offensive rebounds turned into putbacks. 
um, his success rate itself isn't super high. He's, he's a smaller guy, but he's just in there fighting. And the fact that he's going to just be in there fighting and for, for rebounds, for loose balls, we're going to, he's going to win the fan base over. He's going to be a fun guy to watch Um, on the defensive glass. He's not all that great. He was dead last among the bigs that played a thousand minutes or more last season and in his success rate plus minus for defensive boards, but you have AD around him. You have LeBron around him. Um, you don't quite have like Danny Green as a huge guy or Avery Bradley as a big point guard to help mitigate that somewhat, but I don't think that's going to really kill the the defense all that much. So I see a lot. I like watching more film. I like him more than I did initially. Um, he's not, I, I don't, I wouldn't bank on his passing. He's not a good post facilitator. He's not a good short roll passer. He'll make some now and then. Um, but he's, he's, he can do a lot and I'm, I'm happy he's on the team. So I just want, and we're, we're getting going kind of long here. So we'll kind of wrap up here soon, but uh, we'll, we'll try and come back on Wednesday. Hopefully there's more uh, information, but this last thing, I just consider this for a second. We consider a, uh, a decent, you know, just, just average NBA bench. How many wins does a Dennis Schroeder, KCP, Wesley Matthews, Montrez Harold, Mark Gasol team get 30, 35. A lot. Although I, I want to put some context. Schroeder led his team in scoring possessions per game last I season. Mean, Harold was fourth. So like they came off the bench, but they were, they were starters. Right. And assuming like a decent average bench on that starting five, I feel like that's like a 30 to 35 win team. And that's without Anthony Davis and LeBron James, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that gonna, is that proposed really nothing. Good. You know, I'm just saying. We're be really good. Yeah. It's nasty and they're not done. You know, I expect Dudley to return um, based on not only what he gave us last year, but what he could provide if he actually needs to play. It's, Mm -hmm. it's important. Um, So yeah. Spot in Dudley for one more. And then. Yeah. One, one last thing I want to mention one weakness the Lakers had last season was attacking switches, especially when we had that LeBron AD pick and roll, similar size defenders probably switch that action. You're not letting LeBron get downhill. Then you force them to just ISO somewhere. We are getting with Schroeder, a smaller guard that can run those ball screens. And then if you switch onto him, he can attack with Harrell. If he is switched onto by a guard, he's been really, really impactful, really effective attacking in the post against smaller players, just because he's so forceful. So that, that is a nice counter to, some existing struggles the Lakers have had that they found a solution to. Basically, like anything you could have pointed to that the Lakers struggled with last year, we've just like added someone that's good at it. And and that's a really amazing feeling for a team that just blazed through the playoffs and, and was beating teams in five games up until the finals. So good days ahead. Uh, we'll we'll get on it a little bit more Wednesday. We didn't really even talk about Dennis Schroeder all that much. Um, hopefully we by Wednesday, yeah. we we have the oh, – or Marcus Gasol. Hopefully by then we have uh, – the rotation rounded out a little bit more and we can touch on those players, but uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And hopefully we'll, we'll be able to figure out how to get these streams going. Cause it's yep. fun to uh, go through this and like yes. point out stuff on film or have their player profile pulled up and just walk through stuff that way. Yeah. That's the dream is to, you know, stream and show you kind of what we uh, can't on a podcast through visual medium. So hopefully you get a little bit of uh, value out of each, you know, if you're driving your car, listening to us. And then if you're at home hanging out, you can, we can walk through the Babel index profiles and we can walk through film and uh, show you the data is a lot easier to see sometimes visually. So I uh, will work on it. Uh, I need some, uh, if you, 
want to send me some some volunteer funds for a new computer to help uh, i will not uh deny them so but otherwise you know follow us on twitter we'll try and be back uh recording wednesday and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.